In words recorded in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus, speaking in the most determined and defiant of terms, said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In a world that readily disregards the divine and routinely diminishes the plans of a man to nothing, Jesus asserts that there is no will or power on earth that will be able to thwart his intentions. More than that, that even the very seat of demonic power bent on the destruction of God's creation would be powerless to prevent his plans to save God's fallen image bearers and to coalesce a community of the redeemed. Uh, all of this he is accomplishing through the lives of fallible, imperfect people like you and like me. The divine aim of Jesus is to accomplish his Father's will to the end of his glory uh, for a visible and tangible witness to a world that is wasting away and for the blessing, benefit, and joy of the children of God. For over 2,000 years uh, since Jesus spoke those words, he has been leveraging the surrendered and obedient lives of the, those deemed faithful in him to accomplish this purpose. To be sure, on an earthly plane, the church has made her way forward in the purposes of Christ in a messy fashion. Uh, the church is, after all, a redemptive organization being led imperfectly uh, by sinners made saints. Still, inasmuch as she remains faithful to the scriptures and to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the church is the hope of the world. Despite her issues, though there be many, according to Ephesians 5, God is actively preparing her to be presented to Christ as his bride in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Across these past 2,000 years, the church has, under spirit-directed leadership, albeit imperfectly followed, uh, endeavored to experiment and innovate in order to accomplish the mission of Jesus Christ, who with ultimate authority has commanded that his followers go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things he has commanded. Additionally, as the disciples are obedient to this command, Jesus has promised to be with us always, even to the end of the age. That promise is inextricably tied to our faithfulness in being the church and then cooperatively doing its work. In the past year or so, uh, the world faced a challenge uh, that resulted from the outbreak of the coronavirus. As throughout his, uh, history, God's people have sought to make a way forward, cooperating with our fellow man in the world in which we live, while not losing sight of God's will for our personal lives uh, and that of the body of Christ, which Jesus died both to purchase and to build. Looking back, I can say that I, uh, our staff, and the senior leaders of our church counted a blessing of miraculous proportions that our church had moved prior to COVID uh, to purchase and install a new audiovisual system to replace outdated equipment. Though there was a steep learning curve, this move enabled us, by God's grace, to improve our radio broadcast, as well as to create a virtual experience to stem the many months-long disruption of public in-person services as the fellowship of believers uh, was understandably scattered. What we had hoped to implement originally as an outreach to the unchurched uh, became a necessary means for continuing to minister remotely uh, to those who consider community church the local congregation of which they are a part. Just as we sought to honor commands in Scripture regarding civil authority and um, loving our neighbor, we were convicted to obey other commands of Scripture just as soon as reasonably possible, such as not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together uh, and being that visible city on a hill that cannot be hidden, which is a, a vital necessity with eternal significance. We are called to be salt, 
uh, and it only works in uh, collected, concentrated form. We're called to be light, and light uh, illumines and magnifies best when together we shine brighter. There is no manual apart from Scripture uh, about making our way forward in a pandemic. Our church, like most other churches, uh, attempted to do the best that we could. And it should be noted that God has abundantly blessed Community Church in many ways throughout this journey. Even if my, uh, the senior leaders, and the staff's leadership was imperfect, all praise goes to Jesus for that. Some 17 months later, the church in our world is grappling with how to encourage God's people to return. At Community Church, we've been greatly blessed to see so many people returning, and yet the burden remains for those who have not. Like other churches, we have a desire to encourage those who are fearful about uh, gathering, as well as to challenge those for whom uh, watching the service online or listening on a radio broadcast has just become, well, easier and more convenient. In the interest of honoring Scripture and our Savior, uh, we have prayerfully crafted this Come Back Home Sunday. It's uh, not a small irony that we have been able to leverage technology in order to uh, put this service together to focus on ecclesia, the Greek word from which we derive our English word, church. It means uh, to assemble. Uh, and uh, we want to do that to speak to two questions, uh, why we assemble and why it matters. I say that it's an irony uh, because it enables me to make an important point. Uh, this morning, uh, I am physically in the state of Texas, though I am watching this service online. This afternoon, I will perform the wedding ceremony of my nephew, and then Gail and I will come home. I, I can say that we are with you in spirit. We are watching, but the actual factual truth is we are not with you. Gail and I are not actually present with you. We, we can't interact. We can't shake a hand. We can't uh, give a hug or, or pray with you. Though you're the place that God's called us to be and the people that God has called us to love and do life with. Uh, what I hope to share with you this morning is that central to what it means for you to follow God is to be where He is with His people and involved in what He is doing. Friends, Christianity is not a solo sport. I know that we are a ruggedly individualistic, me-first, self-serving society, but self is not what God is redeeming us for. And I love each of you enough to tell you as your pastor that it is a lie from the enemy with unforeseen consequences that it is the same to watch church online. Theologically, there is no such thing as a virtual church. Is it a potentially a viable means of outreach to people who have never heard the good news? Yes. Uh, is it a, a means of ministry to keep some connected, like those who are homebound because of illness or those who are having to work on Sunday or, or are on vacation? Absolutely. But is it a functional replacement for actually meeting together? I believe the scriptures are clear. No. You already heard the testimonies of a number of people at Community Church about why uh, gathering is important to them. I briefly want to speak to you from the pages of scripture about why we assemble and why it matters. As I already hope to have illustrated, the church is not merely some distant arm's length affiliation. Uh, it is rather a tangible, identifiable entity. Uh, in its essence and existence, the church is both invisible and visible. It's, it's universal, but it's also literal and local. There is, in a, a theologic sense, the, the truth that once we are in Christ, we become part of the body of Christ that spans time and eternity. 
However, it is also abundantly clear in the pages of Scripture that the outworking of our salvation and the work of God in our world is irrevocably tied to being a participatory part of a local church. Again, that's what church means, ecclesia, assembly, meeting, gathering. Because God is community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The church, the community of the redeemed, has been intentionally designed to reflect who God is. And brothers and sisters, we only reflect that in togetherness. Driscoll and Brashears in their book, Vintage Church, wrote, The local church is a community of regenerated believers uh, who confess Jesus Christ as Lord. In obedience to Scripture, they organize under uh, qualified leadership, gather regularly for preaching and for worship, observe the biblical sacraments of communion and baptism, uh, and are unified by the Spirit, disciplined for holiness, and scattered to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission as missionaries to the world for God's glory and for their joy. Uh, a recent article I read uh, underscored the importance of pausing, reflecting, and considering our reasoning on this subject in light of the, God's truth and wisdom. Are we called to private to be private or are we called accountability? Are we called to fear or to faith? Are we called to comfort or to commitment? Are we called to be alone or together? Are we called to distance or to draw near? Are we called to glean only for ourselves or are we meant to be conduits of God's grace to other people? Are we to like from afar or are we to love up close? The writer of Hebrews speaks clearly to this in chapter 10, beginning in verse 22, where he writes, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. So beyond the commands of Scripture, why do we assemble and why does it matter? There are many things that could be said, but I want to give you three, uh, quickly give you three thoughts. First, we assemble to encounter God's unique presence and to ascribe the worship and glory due His name. It is true that in Christ we have become the temple of the living God as the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us. Yet there is more to our experience of God that He wishes for us than we are capable of attaining alone. God has entered a covenant relationship with us not merely to save individuals, but to create community. For this reason, the Bible speaks of the church in familial terms. We are the family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. In Matthew 18, Jesus said, Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am among them. What this means is that while God has come to dwell in the hearts of his people, uh, there is a special means of grace to be found in the context of community. This is what Jesus is building. And though God is uh, omnipresent, that is, everywhere present, he delights in especially manifesting his presence among his people. So if I could put it this way, if God delights in descending from, uh, as it were, from the throne uh, of heaven uh, to dispense the profound grace of his presence among us, ought we not uh, be motivated to overcome the relatively mild inconvenience of getting up, getting dressed, and expectantly coming 
praying for him to be here, uh, wanting to see him move, uh, wanting to feel his presence and in person to praise his glorious name. If I ask you who your hero was, I'm sure that everyone has one, some biblical, some real world. If I told you that next Sunday your hero, uh, the person you idolize the most, is going to be on that stage, he's going to be interviewed or she's going to speak, you wouldn't miss that service for the world. And yet, the most important person who has ever walked the face of the earth has promised that as we assemble in his name, he is with us in a unique sense, in a special way. If God is showing up in the household of God, in, in the church, why would we stay far away? Why would we not run to that experience? Second, we assemble because uh, to embrace the part that God has ordained for us to play and then to earnestly play it. This is so important. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If, we, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members that may, may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. The Spirit of God here quite literally puts flesh on what it is that Jesus is building as he builds his church. It's not about brick and mortar. The truth is any old place will do. We are incredibly blessed to have this beautiful sanctuary to assemble in every weekend and worship our great God. But it's about the people who gather. When we, led of God, sink our commitment roots uh, in the church and then show up, we are attesting to the miraculous will and work of God over our lives to place us and there to make something of us together that we cannot be alone. Brothers and sisters, we are not decentralized factories of random parts. We are a body of God's fashioning the body of Christ, meant to be joined together, meant to work together. And this is why we're constantly encouraging you uh, to, to get involved in a small group, uh, to, to join a life group, or, uh, and to find a place to serve. Why? It's not just because we're creating busy work for you. It's because we believe that God is trying to build something of our shared lives, and we want to see what that will be as you engage. The church is not a disembodied entity. You and I are more than soul and spirit. We possess bodies, and those bodies were meant for interaction and involvement. When Jesus died for your sins, uh, he didn't merely offer up his spirit. He gave his body. When we celebrate communion, uh, we are commemorating his broken body and shed blood, and it is a sacred rite to be celebrated in the confines of covenant community where we gather at the table and are reminded uh, in the presence of each other that he didn't just die for me, he died for us all. What happens to a part of the body once it's removed from the whole? Well, it doesn't just atrophy, it dies. What happens to the whole once a part has been removed? Well, it's handicapped. It, it, it's incapable of being what it once was whole or what it could be whole. Just imagine what we could accomplish if every part was in place. As the old adage says, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. And, and this church, apart from your presence, is incomplete. We are not 
what God intended us to be less than what he uh, dreams of our church being. Third and finally, we assemble to experience in ever-increasing measure the plan and purpose of God, which we can only know together. Uh, here is what God is composing. Uh, this is uh, what Jesus is building, what the Father has willed uh, and Jesus has purchased. The Spirit is now endowing and empowering and enabling. Paul writes in Ephesians that God has given the church leaders to equip God's children. He writes in verse 12 of chapter 4, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, uh, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That phrase to equip means to put back in working order. God is fixing us uh, individually, but, but more than that, communally as his family, uh, arranging the parts in such a way that, that we function uh, according to his design. Again, inasmuch as you are, are in Christ, you have been made a pivotal part of the body of Christ, and you were meant to be equipped for ministry. Churches suffer to become uh, what uh, God desires and designed them to be because too many Christians are missing in action. But as this happens, as more and more of us move out of the vague clouds of good intentions and get concrete uh, in our commitment, God will move us all toward the attainment of two things, the unity of the Spirit uh, in faith, the unity of faith, uh, and the knowledge of the Son of God. Here's the plain truth. This, there are some levels of the Christian experience or the Christian life that you will not attain apart from the ecclesia. Um, Clearly, we need one another to become what God intended us to be individually and collectively. Additionally, there are sins and stumblings and struggles that you will not overcome apart from frequent and faithful participation in the body of Christ, the church. Paul goes on to say that in verse 14, that if we are not engaged, if we're not assembling and becoming that vital part of what God is doing, then we will remain like children. We will be tossed to and fro by uh, every wind and, and wave of doctrine. We will be, uh, we'll fall prey to every cunning scheme and, uh, and deceitfulness. So, though not exhaustive, this is why we assemble and why it matters. And Paul concludes that passage in Ephesians 4 by writing, uh, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The gospel at work through the assembled, identifiable, and active church is the hope of the world. With all appropriate caution and all biblical courage, uh, let us be together the church in this hour. May we experience, as more and more of us engage that, may we experience more and more of the fullness of God's presence, and may we be faithful in accomplishing Christ's mission as it's been handed to us from those who have gone before, so that the church behind us will know the way. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for our salvation, and we thank you for the gift of the church. 
We thank you that you've made a place for us and that uh, as you are continuing to work out our salvation, you envision the church being at the very center of that growth. I pray, Father, for those who are away, that you would help them to recognize that you are sovereign over their lives, that while there are reasonable steps to take, that we can trust you as we give you, as we assemble to give you the worship and praise and to declare your word, that we are not the same without them. I pray that they'd come home. Father, for those uh, for whom this season has just become, uh, it's become easy to, uh, to do things remotely, I pray that you'd convict them this morning that that's not what it means to be a part of the church. And I pray that you'd draw them home. May families in this church, every man, woman, uh, and child, uh, seek first the, your kingdom and your righteousness in the hope and trust that all the other things will be added to us. Father, we desire uh, to know you and to experience you, and we pray for your blessing on us. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.